0: It is, it is a lovely day, <coughs> and, and it's a beautiful way to begin this day by, um, b- by the contemplation and the thinking. I just thought what a lovely silence and what a lovely, lovely place to speak into and to speak out of that whole notion of that inner quiet, um, uh, full of love and, um, and full, of, um, full of openness. So thank you for coming. And my prayer would be that uh, something quite important will happen today, that we'll begin to see something more deeply, that we'll be moved, and um, moved and um, in a more profound way, that we'll understand our faith a bit more, that we'll begin to be um, to be more familiar, maybe, with the very heart of our of our
1: Christian faith,
0: and that if. If your hearts are a bit heavy, that they will be lightened, um, and if there's stuff going on in you that you know that casts a kind of darkness around you, um, my prayer would be that the Holy Spirit would somehow dispel those shadows as well, and that we'd all go home a little a little brighter and <clears throat> little little bit maybe more hope, maybe more courage, all of these all of these graces. Of Almighty God, so uh, today, as as Kate (coughs) um, announced, um, and the title is "Unwrapping the Gift," unwrapping the gift, uh, or unwrapping the mystery, or peeping into the mystery of what this of what this season is about—Advent, Christmas, and so on. And um, so in a way, I think I'll also be talking, I'll be doing it in terms of talking about depth, D-E-P-T-H, depth. Like whatever I think we're doing in the spiritual life or whatever we're doing to know more, to study more, to feel more, uh, to become more human, to become more holy, whatever, I think it's nearly always about depth. So keep that somewhere in the back of your mind that it's about deepening ourselves, enriching ourselves becoming more ourselves as life goes on and as we get older and move into the second half of life. So, so Advent, incarnation, depth, any of these words will, will, uh, will serve as a kind of umbrella uh, term for what we'll be doing. And I would just ask you again, as well as exercising your mind, let your heart be involved. Like all the time, try to keep in touch with your own inner soul and your own emotions and your own whatever your true self is, to keep to keep close to that. Don't just I would suggest like don't just listen, but listen as deeply as you can. Because it's not information we are after anymore. It's not more knowledge about things. It's something that it's something it's like seeing things maybe we haven't seen before, or rather seeing them more clearly. Um, it's that kind of, I mean, the Pope Francis uses the word, like, like falling in love, or like how we feel on the beautiful spring day after winter. That is actually more than just doctrines and dogmas and uh, creeds and catechisms. They have their place, but not as high a place, I think, as we have placed them course of our lifetimes um, um, they have a place but but only so that we would only so that we would be transformed into the light so those things just and um, please um, and you'll have I think you'll have to work quite a bit today or let allow the Holy Spirit to work within you again like joining the dots so to speak making it relevant to your own lives and um, um, it's kind of glimpses <clears throat> into, the, into the astonishing moment when God becomes human. That's, so that's why it's a blessed time in, in, in Advent and <coughs> Christmas. Time and, and the fact that you are taking this precious day off your normal lives and paying for it um, with so many other things happening, on today, the 3rd of December, that you could be at, uh, spending money in the shops and um, enjoying the sunshine. So, like, you are obviously taking it seriously. You probably belong to a group of people that would be about point zero 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 one of the population, giving a day to the things of the heart, to the things of the soul, um, to your own deepest destiny and also to the quality of your lives at every moment. Um, so let me begin with a, a story about um, Jean-Paul Sartre, a self-professed atheist, I would say. But he was in, in, in 1940, he was in a Nazi camp. And there were some Jesuit priests there as well. And it was this time of the year. And they weren't sure what to do for Christmas, how to celebrate in the camp. And they asked this famous writer, uh, could he help them out? And he did. He, he wrote a kind of a Christmas play. Um, and, and, and these are the words he put in to the mouth of Mary with a little baby on her lap. this God is my son. The divine flesh is my flesh. He is made from me. He has my eyes and the shape of his mouth is the shape of mine. He takes after me. He is God and he takes after me. No other woman has ever had her God fall to her lot in this way. A small God whom I can take in my arms and cover with kisses. A warm God who breathes and smiles. A God who lives and whom I can touch. And when I was reading this, I immediately thought of the scripture quotation, 1 John 1, 1. Easy to remember. 1 John 1, 1 where, john writes with great urgency and great excitement about uh, the fact of god becoming human and three times he repeated and so we we saw him we heard him we touched him yes we're telling you what we have seen what we have touched what we have heard yes the logos from the beginning is now touchable and tangible and seeable and hearable, and so on. We're telling you this to let you know that God is one of us and that your joy because of this may be perfect." And then in another kind of imaginary commentary like that, um, the neighbors, when they saw the baby Jesus, were saying, yeah, yes, he is. Of course he's the child of uh, <coughs> Mary and Joseph. Look at, the, look at the freckles on his nose. His mother has those freckles, and his father has those <laughs> freckles. So the, 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 what I find astonishing here is is the fact that every Christmas, perennially, we go through it, uh, and yet do we have a clue really, except intellectually, about what is meant in that whole moment that now everything human, reveals God, that God is as near as the person nearest to you, that God actually is the force that enables you to breathe and keeps you alive, and it's God's energy that keeps your heart beating as well. In other words, when will the day come? Will it ever come? when we really believe that, without a doubt. A lot of us would be only familiar with a kind of religion that's full of what we call dualism, and that would be that you have the, you have the sacred, and you have the secular, and they're quite, quite different. You have the church, and you have the and priesthood, and, um, and you have um, all the whole community the whole religious, the whole Catholic faith, and the sacraments, and going to confession and all of that, and that's where we're all meant to belong. Say this side, and over here you have those people who may or may not belong to a church, but they live their lives, they bring up their families, uh, they um, they just try to do the best they can. But to my mind, everything that comes across still from the institution of the church. He has that line down the middle. And therefore, I think for 2,000 years years have missed the meaning of incarnation, which is that there isn't any line down the middle anymore. It's all the same. It's all the one. It's all divine. It's all immediate access to Almighty God. And you cannot get much more intimate Than God being your own energy, your own imagination, God being your own dreams, God being your own friendships. That everything you like and love and pursue is an experience of God. That there aren't two, there are not two levels of life, one secular and one sacred. There are two levels of, of courage, God's courage enabling you um, to do things that you couldn't do before, or human courage, secondary but important as well, or forgiveness, say that on the one hand you have human forgiveness when we try to forgive each other, which isn't as important as going for the real forgiveness into the box where the priest is waiting for you, or the advent, or Lenten moments when we go up to the priest to get forgiveness as well. All of that on the one hand. That isn't better than human forgiveness because there's no better. When, when, we, when we forgive anybody, or they forgive us, that is as good as it gets, that divine forgiveness. And when we sort of say to somebody, you know, uh, buck up a bit, you're, you're kind of down, you know, or are you all right, and um, can I come around and see you, or will we go to the pictures, or will we go for a glass of wine, um you know to give you a little bit of <clears throat> make, lift your spirits a bit that is isn't merely human and that when we pray like mad god gives us some kind of grace uh <laughs> to make us happier it isn't there aren't two it's only the one that everything we do is drenched in grace put our arm around somebody's shoulders and um you know and give them a hug and say Um, tomorrow it will be better, (coughs) or tell me what the matter is. That is utterly divine. And also, um, the same with with loving. You know, again, we've been brought up, and it's still in our catechisms, and still in a lot of our preaching (coughs) and teaching, and that you have human love, and that's fine, and that's good, but divine love is what we are after, really. God's love is what we want, and we get that by (coughs) being better people and better Catholics, and so on. And the kind of the shocking thing is that's not true. There's only one kind of loving too, and that is the human kind. And then that's where I would go back again to say that little story at the beginning and a hundred stories like it. and Christmas itself, are reminders of that fact, the humanity of God in the humanity of Jesus. There's a strange, (coughs) perennial denial of that intrinsic, um, incarnate, (coughs) fleshed presence of God. And nobody more than Pope Francis um keeps reminding us of that he's always talking about the experience of grace not knowing it not agreeing with it not being on the right side of the law about any of these things up for grabs like people who are divorced and remarried can they receive holy communion will women ever be ordained can gay people get married and so on he, he is saying <clears throat> it's not about being aggressively um, insistent on these rules and ticking all those boxes of the creed and the catechisms. He talks about the actual feeling of compassion, the actual fleshed mercy, mercy made flesh. And um, he talks about... Um, he even int- introduces a word, um, visceral. Now, visceral, I keep, keep checking it in the diary, in the dictionaries, like, it's, a, it's a very fleshy word. You know, the, def- the dictionary will talk about guts and your guts and your intestines. Visceral, viscera. And that's the word he uses about incarnation. That it isn't just a vague idea or it isn't just... Um, a sort of a nice uh, belief and oh, that it isn't all for the head no he would say he would say our flesh is divine our humanity is our divinity like i know that i was told the exact opposite of everything i'm saying now Yet, and yet, there are things that when, whatever time in life, it happens to you, and first of all, you may dismiss it, as you may be dismissing what I'm saying now, or you may think, which might be a little bit less hopeful, you may think, oh, I know all that. Um, it's not about knowing it, <coughs> it's about becoming it. And that when, that, when that when you begin then to look and to see, to see that beauty in everything, and to see the depth. Remember, we're after depth and depth and depth. Um, then our lives have to change who we fight with, who we don't, <laughs> who we forgive, how we look at things, how we see things, how we recognize God in things. That, for one thing, it makes our lives so so eminently interesting, if nothing more. It's about, it's about being less surfacey and shallow in our lives, in our rushing, and becoming more resonant, more depth in us, more wisdom in us. And that's the abundant life in this life. That's the hidden self coming out. Our hidden self is shaped in God's shape, and we are all aspects and dimensions of God. And it's it's a desperate curse for the church that whole mistaken, misunderstood, utterly flawed doctrine of Adam and Eve and the original sin and all of that. I don't want to go into that much because it, it raises hackles and, <coughs> you know, people tend to shout out, are you saying there's no hell? Are you saying there was no first parents? Well, I am, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm, this morning I feel very trusting and uh, <coughs> that all your hearts are open, are big and open to God, which is, again, one of Pope Francis's huge prayers that we would all have big hearts open to God. And I'm thinking of that, penitential, that Pentecost uh, collect for the Mass. Um, in the old translation, uh, you know, o Holy Spirit expand the horizons of our hearts and minds to somehow cope with the extravagance of this way of looking at the meaning of the Christian life especially the catholic life um in the light of incarnation let me just um read a short paragraph on how our good friend richard Rohr puts it but you don't need any and like you don't need any reassurance just please believe it and you know it's right because i think our hearts know what's right, we are born in God's image, the ears of our heart are open to hear that during our lives, and very often we don't, and we don't hear it from the very people and community who are tasked with telling us that, the good news that we are all walking around, like Thomas Burton said, shining like the sun, that we can do all things in him who makes us strong that we can heal ourselves and heal other people once we give access to the Holy Spirit to enter the privacy of our lives. Like, all of that brings, brings a huge um, intimacy. It's the ultimate intimacy, that identification with the divine. And again, if we were helped maybe to understand what happens at the moment of Holy Communion, which a lot of people do. Um, and every, every Sunday, and again, late in life, I would have discovered the enormity of that moment. And sometimes those days when I wouldn't feel drawn to celebrating Mass or even going to Mass, very often I would do that. Because I would, <coughs> I would bring into my imagination, into the reality of my life, that when you're, that you're actually placing on your tongue a piece of bread, <coughs> which we call God. And we take a sip of wine, which we call God. And they, two very ordinary <coughs> species, we eat and we drink. And you can feel the wine even trickling down. <coughs> um, and, and you can d- eat, chew the bread. They are actually becoming you. They're being fleshed into you. It is, it is an enormous moment, I find, now. And the only way to be spending it is in complete silence. I mean, I know that we were too individualistic in our faith, and maybe especially in Ireland, and saving our souls. But it isn't all about community all the time. Um, there has to be a personal a deeply personal, special, falling in love between us and God. The God who is the deepest part of us, the God with every breath, the God with every heartbeat, the God who is somehow there every step we take, every time we meet somebody. And we'll see that a bit more clearly after lunch. Um, That to at least keep that moment for a complete identification that God is, is becoming you, and you are becoming God. I don't think it's time for, you know, looking for hymn books and page 32 and bashing out, bind us together, Lord, all of these. They're all useful, and they're all real. But I think, please, like let us have this moment of utter oneness when we're literally feeling God and becoming God and chewing God. And let me just add there. As well it isn't as though God is coming to us at that moment no more than when Christmas comes it isn't God coming to us at Christmas what is it it's the sacrament of the fact that God is always that deep within us we don't earn it we can't demand it we can't bargain for it that's the way it was it's a given We can do nothing whatever about it. Jesus didn't come to add on something that God had forgotten. Jesus didn't come to to because plan A, so to speak, went wrong, and Adam and Eve did all the damage and committed an original sin. That's why we're all forever caught up in this depressive, uh, banal way sometimes of the institutional living of the church, with somehow kind of something joyful and something attractive uh, and something almost seductive in it, where, where, where over again and again, moments will help us to fall in love more deeply with God. Just don't lose, please, what I'm saying there, that, that Christmas itself and the Holy Communion, they're not bringing something that wasn't there before. They're making us more aware of what has always been the case in us. It isn't that we live out of faith, depending do we sin or not. God isn't like that. Sometimes God doesn't give two hoots what we get up to. God just keeps loving us and keeps waiting. Um, so, so that the sacrament, like it, all is all bringing to us is, is reminding us to celebrate the fact that we are always forgiven, that God is always deep within us. What Jesus, the, the fuss about Christmas is, Jesus came to explain to us, to reveal to us the meaning of what it is to be human, and that is to be divine. That the more truly human we are, the more deeply divine we are. Like for some reason, and it isn't that I'm. Um, Uh, It's not my opinion at all. This is the whole story of incarnation and the mystics and the theologians and the women theologians today. They're saying that and a heck of a lot more. It's just for some reason a lot of us have never been told what the excitement. You know, we think it's for children. It is for children to have a happy time with Santa Claus and presents, but to think that that's the meaning of Christmas is a shocking mistake. Christmas is a real An opening of windows, an opening of hearts, an opening of meaning, an opening of identity, which enables us to see the whole point of all of creation. That creation itself is the first Christmas. That creation itself, 14 billion years ago, is the first a sacrament of God. That the expanding universe and and the billions of billions of years before our planet and after our planet They are all God's magnificent body, broken and beaten, but God's body. And that all of us long before Jesus were utterly saved, utterly redeemed, or whatever word you want to call it. Redeemed from what? The danger of Adam and Eve, to my mind, we know we're sinful. We're sinning like mad all the time. All I would want my whole worry, and I can't get any real um, explanation somehow, but anyway, um, is, is, n- is not I'm not denying that we are sinful and we do awful things. God help us, we do, but we're still loved by God unconditionally, unfailingly, no matter what. we're not to be branded as fallen people on a fallen world, um, somehow and that we, and that we had to be redeemed from it, and Jesus had to die for us, and God was angry. It's not that. Like, How can we ever be on fire with love if we think our main lover, God, is like that? Demanding a son's death, punishing us in some way, creating hell (coughs) or limbo, Uh, God who allows these bad things to happen. How can you ever fall in love with a God like that? You're going to watch your back with a God like that. As a lot of us were told when we were small, count up your sins because God is watching you, not with a mother's love or a lover's love, but with a strict father's um, um, sense of justice and punishment and so on. Anyway, there's no end. There's no end to different ways of putting this. Uh, But that little story by an atheist, interestingly (laughs) enough, just. Like, think of the way a mother does look at her child. Think of the way a child looks at her mother. And there you have it. More or less. You'll never go far wrong when you're thinking about God if you think about a mother and her child. I remember one day walking down the the aisle of the church of the parish that I was privileged to serve. And... um, and like, we'd walk out the back and then greet people as they left, and so on and so forth. And then I saw like these three or four mothers at the back wall of the church, either side of the door through which I was going to exit. And they had their little babies with them, and um, they were feeding their babies or holding their babies or looking at their babies or whispering to their babies or listening to their babies. Maybe because the babies were making noise and... The neighbors weren't happy. And I remember thinking, but didn't, out of sheer cowardice, shouting out and saying, "Look, all you people, you're looking the wrong direction. You, you won't learn much from the sanctuary or from the, the altar or from the lectern or the geezer behind the lectern, giving a homily. All of you turn round. Look at these. Look, look at these people. Look at these mothers. Look at their babies. Look at the way they're using their senses. Looking at the love that's there. Look at the w- look. Look at the way the mother is calling out the beauty and personality of the baby. Look at the way the baby is calling out the mother, the motherhood, and the maternal and the love of the. mother. That's far more like what 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 we have, what we believe in, uh, than doctrinal ceremonies. Cer- homilies and, and knowledge and information. And when Pope Francis was asked, uh, what, what, what would you say is holiness? And maybe you just for a brief moment think if you were asked that question by somebody who had never heard of Christianity or whatever, how would you answer it? Somebody would say to you, you're talking about holiness. What, what is it? The odds are you would talk about a church or Jesus or being baptized or not eating meat on Friday or whatever the thing is. Um, You would, and what Pope Francis said was, a mother uh, creating a baby. Like, he has a great gift of seeing through. Another time he said, um, uh, he said, "I'm I'm not big in doctrines and dogmas, but I have one, one dogmatic certainty, and that is God is in the heart of everyone. Of everyone. That includes every religion, people of none, and like I would say last week, you know, a, quite a number of people, unusually, you know, were talking a lot about evil people. And of course, anybody reading the paper these days or watching the news would see um, that's what you're inclined to call these mad, madmen, uh, killing and destroying and all doing desperate things, unthinkable. And yet, I would, if they asked me, I would feel like saying, "Don't call them evil. They're doing evil things. They really are in a terrible state. But don't say that God has given up on them or that resurrection hasn't happened, because." To be is to be holy. To be a human being is to be potentially divine. So let me finish on this bit um, by just um, reminding, trying to sum it up. I know it's in one sense all over the place. But it's not easy to talk one, two, three, A, B, C, about something. How do you, how do you? And that's why catechisms are so, so desperately can be so desperately misleading. Or homilies and so on. Or if I, if I asked any of you to say, What is it like to be in love? Or describe your love for somebody, you know, you wouldn't immediately take out your pencil and write like mad. You really would have to think. So forgive me if this is a bit rambling. I think I'm kind of clear in my own head about the fairly clear of where to begin probing into this whole mystery of a god who couldn't contain that divine love, and that divine love had to spill over into creation. That creation could have been going on for billions of billions of years and will continue. And trillions of billions of galaxies with trillions of billions of planets in each one. That all of that, all of that, this is why science and theology is going to be making such a huge difference from now on. But. And um, that all of that is just like with lovers, they fall in love and they create a baby. The baby emerges from their love. The whole universe and all of us has emerged from God's love. God loved us from the beginning. There was never any expulsion from the Garden of Eden, never. It's a beautiful myth. It, it asks a question. It has nothing to do with history or geography. And God never did say these things, or expelled us, or anything. God loved us from the beginning, delighted with us every second of every day, adores us in all we try to do. Is God's imagination? Everything we do and think is God somehow working within us, and then, um, and then to believe that we are drenched in God, we're all God incarnate. We make dreadful mistakes, etc., etc. We're sinning all the time, yes, but we're not kind of condemned as we were told, like a damned mass, forever on our knees, repairing the thing we did with Adam and Eve, all the time suffering from being branded with this terrible sin. Baptize the baby the minute it's born. And if it isn't, it goes to this awful place called limbo. That has been called spiritual abuse in Ireland. Spiritual abuse. It wrecked the possibility for loads of us of ever loving God with all our hearts and all our souls and all our bodies. And I ask people, and I don't ask anymore, when they say no, they do not trust God. They do not believe that God loves them extravagantly and they think it's better to stay in the state of grace and get a confession as often as possible or else they give up the whole thing. Um... It makes it hard, impossible us to trust, to trust and, and surrender to God every morning, utterly and completely place all our cares, all our past, all our present in God's hands, utterly, in a way, in a way, in a way that changes how we greet the day. as real as that. Somebody was telling me recently and said, "You know, I wake up an atheist every morning." During the course of the few hours that follow, I unpeel all the stuff. I unwrap all the distractions until I'm a believer again, around half a snap after my coffee and so on. <coughs> and, and other people would say, again, like, I, I, am, I am a depressive every morning when I wake up. But when I get up and um and 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 begin to to reflect or to be silent um, and to i can I can build back up to the believer i was so like so we are easily we're very very weak in many ways um uh, very seductible and all of that um and so so again i'm saying that's that kind of unwrapping of the gift that kind of um of depth is just what I want to talk a little bit more about this morning. But to get back to your man's um, what, what Richard Rohr said, material reality is the hiding place of God. It is the place of revelation. But we must go deep to see that. You see, like we look at things and we look at the street outside there and the city coming to life this morning and the buses passing and so on we have to look we have to stop we don't have to stop but to walk a bit meditatively or sit down and have a cup of coffee and go through the window and think a bit and then realize this is the unfolding of God in space and time these people may never heard, have heard of Christianity Uh, But God is utterly delighted with them, as delighted as God is with us. So it's kind of like living contemplatively, living at a deeper level to give ourselves that resonance and that presence and that power and that confidence. Uh, Richard continues, uh, it is the place of revelation. There's no other place to know more about God than to look and love each other. Our God is dreadfully incarnate. Our God is fleshly, messily, visceral. I think we've got so much wrong. I think all our sacraments will have to be re-envisaged. Baptism isn't about washing away original sin. Confession is not about getting sins forgiven. Because we're forgiven all the time. Everyone, for everything we could ever do, is all forgiven. We celebrate reconciliation to remember that and to rejoice about that and to remember that if we really believe that, then what we do is forgive everybody within sight and out of sight that we have ever hurt or who have hurt us. See, there's a real, lovely, beautiful logic to it all, but it's all marriage. Marriage is a beautiful sacrament, but we've seen it like it's two failed two very weak people, and they need God's love to come in on top of their human love. No. that whole Dualism is stuck in everything, I'm afraid, that we do. It's about the power of human love as it is. As it is, it's divine, and the power of human love between two people. It doesn't always work out, as we know, to bring out the best and the most beautiful and the divine in each other, to be loved so much that you're prepared to reveal your own shadow, your own sins, your own weakness, because you know you won't be judged. Like marriage is that special place devised by God's community, a safe place where two people can make the other person's eyes shine with God's divinity in their hearts and their bodies and their minds. That's what it's meant to be, not a kind of an outside something coming in or washing away stuff in baptism. That's what I mean by all the sacraments needing to be re, their meaning to be rewritten in the light of this enlightened theology, always present, but always kept hidden. We were never told these things. And now that, that the findings of science are tumbling before us every day, or even watching, like watching World Planet 2, David Attenborough, like looking at those beings. And like seeing those animals almost weeping, and um, to me, to me, that's like that is a gospel. You know, you think, good heavens, this is the God I believe in. This is the divine artist who created all the beauty in the human body and the senses and the um, and in these human in these animals with their with their. Um, colors and shapes and sizes when they're mating, when they're loving, when they're suffering, um, looking after their, their babies, or when you're watching Brian Cox talking about, the, talking about the astonishing mystery of the planets and so on. Now, I see that as a, as a holy hour when I'm watching it. Now you can look at it and just see it, or you can look at it and you can really see the beauty of it, or the Christian can look at it and recognize God in every single moment and shot and experience so beautifully and so reverently handled by brian cox and millions more and david attenborough and millions more so like what i'm saying is through the lens of incarnation which we hone and clean during advent our lives can be deepened and our lives can be made more exciting in that resonance and that presence takes over. let me finish the quotation. We must go deep to see all of that that I'm saying. And then he says, what makes a thing sacred or profane is precisely whether we stay on the surface of our lives or not. Everything is profane if you live on the surface of it. If you've got your daily list much the same, and you might be excited at the presence or the, <coughs> or the good times, are down during the depressive times um, um, but it's still the surface, it's still shallow. Everything is profane if you live on the surface of it, just no real passion, yeah, no passion, no real presence, Mm -hmm. just going through it. Uh, Everything is sacred if you go to the depths of it, everything, that's why the mystics would say like a, a grain of sand in your hand or a split second. Or will tell you everything you need to know. Meister Eckhart, the, the 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 mystic said, I would never have to prepare a lesson or a homily in my life if I could understand that piece of stuff in my hand. So that's what he means by depth. And like it's something that will in that will enthrall you all the time, all that happens. Looking at somebody, listening to somebody, it just gives. It just keeps revealing as you unwrap the meaning and the beautiful meaning at the heart of the most ordinary things, like I would say, like the advent is the season of the flesh, It's the season of the ordinary become divine, like Jesus was in Mary for for like nine months, like a child is the spitting image, a child is the. And like, how human is Jesus? Utterly and totally human in his weaknesses, in his mistakes, in his flawedness. Um, so like it's, like, it's it's really, if you go a bit deeper, it's like learning something completely new. That that and what we have known about our faith doesn't hold a candle, to my mind, to that to that way of seeing and recognizing God everywhere Let's, I'm still trying to finish this everything is sacred if you go to the depths of it even your sin remember one time using that phrase in an advert and people said no leave that out leave that bit out the bit about your sin and of course St. Paul meant yes yes your sin reveals so much about you as well so the division for the mystic in us And I'm talking to and from, because we all have the mystic in us, is not between sacred and secular things, but between superficial things and things at their depth. I'm sorry, I've gone on a bit. Um, um, As well, if you don't mind, like, could you save up any questions you have? Sometimes people have a load of questions or a load of comments. They might say, yes, I I agree with everything there. And here's an example of it from this morning or from yesterday. Or you might say, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't understand it. it doesn't seem to be my faith. Or it may be some little thing you've written yourself. Or it may be just a question. Are you saying that Adam and Eve never existed? But just please, for the afternoon, if there are any comments or questions, they would be very, very welcome. So sorry for going on. Enjoy the coffee. and. Uh, Kate, what time will we say to be back? It's just after 10 to 12 now.